for half podcast a podcast where we talk about old school games and the modern games inspired by them i am one of your hosts dm mike who will be playing the role of shaggy zoinks on this episode <laughs> and joining me is dm liz who will be playing the part of velma jinkies <laughs> sound like a kind of groovy velma there velma <laughs> is groovy velma rocks then unfortunately we're joined by scrappy doo Played by the <laughs> wonderful DM Corbett. Ooh, wonderful. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Happy power. Smash. That wasn't that's bad. That's a good one. You should have been scrappy. Oh, <laughs> shut up. You are quite scrappy. <laughs> and finally, we have Scooby-Doo himself, DM Jim. <laughs> Rutro Raggy. <laughs> If I try to do the dialogue, I'll just sound like Astro, so... <laughs> Can't have that. And we are covering the RPG Meddling Kids by Allison Books, sort of in the Halloween theme. It was published by Pandahead Publications. Sorry, or is it Pandahead Productions? I forget which one. Uh, it productions. is Productions. So You're right. It was published yep. in 2004 and is available for $10. On DriveThruRPG. Grab your copy while you can. As you might imagine, it covers role-playing in the various Saturday morning cartoons of the 70s and 80s. Great shows like Scooby-Doo, Jabber Jaws, Speed Buggy, Help Me Out Here. 
Josie and the Pussycats? Funky Phantom. Oh, Funky Phantom. Josie and the Pussycats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tons, tons of the formula of groovy kids together with a bizarre animal or person. Captain Caveman, there's another one. Oh, yeah. And the Teen Angels. Yep. Solving groovy mysteries. That's what you do here. All right. Well, let's head into Mike and the Mechanics. It's time for Mike and the Mechanics. Sorry, sorry, sorry. that's Mike in the mechanics of the game. My bad. Welcome to Mike and the Mechanics, where Mike quickly in five minutes talks about the entire rule system and leaves us nothing to say. (laughs) Because there's not much of a rule system. Well, yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, I want to be complete, but at the same time, yeah, I don't want to steal people's stuff. No, no, no. You do, you do, you brother. This is this is where we just have to step up our game. <laughs> okay. Well, you end up with four stats: strength, moves, smarts, and health. You get twenty-four points to allocate to them. You can't uh, put more than ten points in any attribute. Then you get twenty-six points to give to abilities. I think they call them, but they really kind of work out as skills. Well, some are like empty stomach, or uh, like. Yeah, I mean they're kind of. Skills, kind of talents. Um, I would call them tune abilities. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And you choose an archetype, which is sort of, you know, a jock, a goof, a brain, a fluff, temper, that sort of stuff. And you get a free one by choosing that one. And their archetypes, if you've watched any of these shows, you'd recognize. The whole game is rolling 2d6, adding it to certain things, and seeing if you can meet or exceed a target number. That's the game system. Before we go into top fives, let's have first impressions. Corbett, oh. your choice. Yeah, no, no. This is a bittersweet pill to swallow because I had forgotten why I haven't picked it up and read it in a while. It came out the year that I opened my comic and game shop. Well, 17 years ago. Shh. We don't need dates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is an old game where I get inspired by them. Oh, God. <laughs> I just learned something. I didn't know you ever ran a comic book and game show. Well, that's cool. I don't anymore, so... (laughs) For a while, you lived the dream. That's that's the cool part. Well, I got to enjoy the fun part of it, of everybody coming in and playing games and having fun. And there's a a couple memories from even running this game. It's really fun to read. Oh my gosh. I had a lot of fun reading it again, but at the same time, it brought back all these bitter... Because you got to realize, too, this is the same time when I I owned the shop. Everybody is coming in constantly telling me they had the newest, coolest version of Lord of the Rings they were ever going to (laughs) make. Batman had not come out yet. There was no Christian Bale Batman. Fantastic Four hadn't even come out yet. I think we were still waiting for Spider-Man 2. So Marvel didn't exist and nobody wanted to read comics, which is a bitter pain to me. But that's beside the point. Yes, let's face it. Those comic things aren't going to happen. And that kid playing uh, Human Torch is never going to go anywhere anyway. So who cares? (laughs) Okay, so I'm over the bitterness. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. (laughs) Clearly. If you get the actual print copy, it's in digest size. And it was one of the first games that I personally picked that wasn't just a, okay, I'm opening the shop. I have to have this many D&D books and this many Champions books and this many of that this is one that was off the cuff and i thought was really gonna sell by the way i still have the copy i purchased (laughs) well yeah i mean it's digest it's what 50 odd pages 70 or 80 after you get well, all with the, the appendices. You know. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. like 30 pages of that. People did not want that at the time. So 
that's beside the point. Anyway, my first impression was it was fun. Okay. <laughs> Jim? Uh, well, maybe like your comic book game store, this was just a little ahead of its time because I thought it was very charming. I found it to be like a cross between Toon and Kids on Bikes. It was almost a storytelling mm-hmm. game, but has just enough rules to hang some fun action and adventure on. I kind of liked it. It's not my play okay. style, but nice. I liked it. My first impression, I also liked the game. I personally found the writing tone of the rules a turnoff, and that made it difficult for me to to, to see what the good stuff that was there. But it is good stuff. That all? Pretty much. I mean, I don't want to go too much into it, because quite fine. honestly, that's going to be my doesn't make the save. So... <laughs> Okay, um, mine. I, I agree with Jim that I could see a Stranger Things RPG being run with this. I think you could really do that. It, it's got some wide open possibilities here. Like if Stranger Things was a Hanna Barbera show, and but not the point Netflix. is, you could make it going to go darker. You don't have to run it as just a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. That's what it's designed for, but you're not limited to that. You just get rid of the wild card, which, by the way, everyone, a wild card is what they call the weird animal or creature or whatever that hangs out with the kids. That being said, like Liz, I found it kind of hard to get through. The writing level was... It's, it, I don't want to get into too much e- any, either, but it seemed like it was being written to an 8 to 12-year-old level, which there's nothing wrong with that, because I also got the impression they wanted this to be an RPG for 8 to 12-year-olds. Anything that gets kids into playing RPGs, I'm totally for. But I had issues there, but we'll talk about it when we get into top five. And let's hit it right now. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts, they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. start with Corbett. Okay, number one thing, and it's only because it's really funny to me. In the credits itself, there is a warning that you should not go out and solve crimes on your own. There are police for that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's when it began to dawn on me, okay, they're writing these rules for kids, (laughs) that this is not aimed at me. Because I'll go out and solve crimes in real life (laughs) if I want. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> I've got some comments on that sort of thing as well. But anyway. Right, go ahead. I was, I was just my point. It's just like, hey, okay. this is funny. All right. Jim. <laughs> Don't set yourself on fire. <laughs> Don't summon <laughs> demons. <laughs> the cartoons this was based on was about the time Herbie the Robot was in the Fantastic Four because they were afraid kids would set themselves on fire like the yep. Human Torch. So, At the same time, they gave us toys that were hot plates. I don't get it. Anyway. <laughs> 
My number five. My single favorite rule in this entire game is just how you deal with the bad guys and the monsters. The rules specifically state you can't kill or even combat the monsters. If you want to defeat a monster in this game, you must devise and use a Mm -hmm. trap. And then there are rules for how to Mm -hmm. do that. And that's just, I just, chef's kiss, golf clap. That's a rule. If you're going to Scooby-Doo it, you've got to. Okay. Liz? Moving on what Jim was talking about, one of the things that I really liked about this game system are the trap rules. And I feel as though it really works to give the authentic feel of a Saturday morning mystery solving cartoon. It is just so cool. Whatever monster it is you're trying to capture, they each have their own target number. And you have to reach that target number when you're rolling the 2d6. And so to make sure you can reach that number, you try to create a trap that has as many steps to it as humanly possible. Because each step you add to your trap gives you an extra point to add to your 2d6 roll. Not higher than your smarts. Right. You can't have more steps than you have points in your smarts. So you get your friends to help you build the trap. And when you do that, you can take the highest smarts roll in the entire group and add one to it. Mm -hmm. And that's how many steps you can have in your trap. It gives a super cool rationale for making these ridiculous Rube Goldberg type traps that why do you even have the giant fish in there that there's no reason to do that it's like well there there is now you know Did, did you guys have that game mousetrap? Mm-hmm. It's like that. Yeah. The boot, the like, the I never personally had it, but my, my cousins did. And I just thought that was so cool. But- well, did you guys have all the parts for mousetrap? I've had mousetrap three times in my life. And I swear I've never had all the parts. I don't understand that game. <laughs> but but you've got two thirds of a, a cootie. You could, plastic cootie. You could there's, there's a callback. Yeah. Nobody under 40. <laughs> but we do. Because we're old. Okay. Uh, Mine, the PSAs, really kind of threw me out. And yeah, if it's for kids, I see that. But almost all the PSAs in there reminded me of the 1980s. I mean, that Mm. thing about don't really go chasing criminals or solving crimes. There's another one in there about near the end where they're talking about have fun with this game, but make sure your real life stays as exciting as your game life. You know, this whole Mm -hmm. don't play too many role-playing games. It'll stunt your growth. (laughs) Don't play with matches. Yeah, like, come on. Well, I got a question for you then, Mike. Would it have made any difference if those had been in a little sideboard box with like G.I. Joe? That would have totally made a difference to me (laughs) because I would have felt like that they were doing it on purpose. They were doing it. uh, Yeah. And they were doing it ironically. That I could totally get behind. To be in quote unquote character of the Saturday morning cartoon block. I see that sample wild card they had, Captain Bingo. If they had Captain Bingo giving those throughout the book, that would have been awesome. I could have totally lived with the with star, that. the star trailing a rainbow. <laughs> okay, that mm-hmm. could have worked, but the way it was, otherwise, it was just like really, come on. Probably been funny too because Captain Bingo has that piratey accent. <laughs> okay, number four, Corbett. Since I know everybody's already gonna bash on it, I'm gonna defend it. 
<laughs> I really enjoyed the writing in this game. Just straight up, I enjoyed it because it's loose and it talks to me like I would talk to them. So it's got a lot of parentheses and sort of sarcastic comments and goofy things. And it kind of talks on my level, which apparently is a sixth grade level to Mike. So he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't feel so bad. Sixth grade is also the level Newsweek is printed at. So, you know. Yes, that's true. <laughs> It makes fun of itself while kind of playing along. And I, I kind of en- I enjoyed it. It didn't feel like reading an instruction book. And it didn't feel like reading the GDW stuff where it's like incredibly technical. Thanks. And you're, you're like, oh, but this one's light and fun. And honestly, I really liked a lot of what she had to say in general as far as content goes. But I'm, I'm mostly talking about the way she was writing it. It felt mm-hmm. lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, I think if it was making fun of itself, it should have tried a little harder to make that obvious because a lot of there was a couple of times but for the most part i just didn't get that i mean it's because i'm old and bent and we don't have kids so all right jim number four i meant to do this sooner this is probably the time where i should out myself as being uh friends with the author and the editor allison brooks and uh, brett brooks are uh friends of mine they have their own business running convention booths and sometimes do it for uh, goodman games i if, if i'm prejudiced in their favor in any way it's probably just because i like them are they panda head yeah in fact if my memory is working today uh panda head productions was the original publisher of brendan lasalle's x crawl before goodman games took it over so there's ah tight little family relationship there actually just to point this out too she was also written up in 100 through one uh, was he 100 through 112 of alarums and excursions so and back in 1984 so i presume she's about the same age as us in the well actually probably more closer to jim well that would <laughs> explain tell. the emphasis on 70s and 80s cartoons you know mm-hmm. i would never comment on al's age <laughs> but cool folks so so I'm, I'm a little handicapped by just adoring the people that produce this but anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> just well, but, she also wrote or has the accreditation of writing up Foxbat unhinged which i know you didn't follow past champions third edition yeah but Foxbat's cool so yeah well she's the one who wrote that huh well might have to give it a read now. And she did a bunch of GURPS and cyberpunk stuff too. She's no, she's no slouch. This yeah. was well, definitely... technically, uh, yeah. Uh, my comments aren't about the technical writing. I, there's only a couple of rules, minor rules holes I found. I mean, it was more just the the theme. I'm but just go saying, ahead, you're going to wind up at a convention, and Jim's going to have to hold back your arms while she punches you in the stomach for a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I will do a PSA to to talk about how you should learn to accept people for their opinions and not judge them. It won't be like that at all. This is what it'll be like. You'll just be walking by the booth and you'll feel your collar get snatched and next thing you know you're buying some dungeon crawl classics that's how that'll go (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) my number four i like the uh getting bonked it was a very nice mechanic i've I've, I've seen you know you just stole two of mine fine two of yours in one shot good job jim (laughs) (laughs) actually no the my one of them he stole was traps which you know okay i accept that but now two in a row doubt it okay well all right i I give you bond i won't talk about go ahead go ahead i i I did extras i deserve revenge after taking your crap for the past several years when i do the mike and the mechanics you know Mm -hmm. it's time for you to get a little back so that's fine. my number four is now going to be captain bingo because (laughs) of all the example characters in in the rule book it's not that they're bad they're just 
very cookie cutter, so you know you don't get sued by anybody. They're the, right. all the, the, That's the, the example characters are good. Yeah. But Captain Bingo as the wild card example is a standout. That was for sure somebody's college newspaper comic strip character. I mean, he's just a chimp in a pirate outfit who says cool stuff and has a weakness for anything banana flavored. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm totally in on Captain Bingo. I want to play Rama. Captain Bingo. That was great. Well, that anything was... banana, including banana rama. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Uh-huh. So that's my number four. Okay, Liz. There's very little about this game as far as the mechanics and the way it works that I dislike. I really do like how this is put together. Mm-hmm. So one of the, another thing that I want to point out, how they manage attribute checks. It's really simple. You roll three D6s, you add the number to whatever your stat is. If the total meets or exceeds your target number, you succeed. Ta-da! It's like, wow, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> to my defense, there are sometimes you roll 2d6s. Yeah, like, you know, for the doing chases. the trap rules and the chases. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. That, that's where I got confused. So, But, yeah, it's like attribute checks are awesome. I like how they, they handle that. Mm-hmm. There's no weird, okay, now to do a modifier and then do this and then do that. It's like, and no. It's a Tuesday, so, yeah, right. it's a minus four. Yeah. You know, your, your base number is your stat. Roll the dice. Add it. There you go. <laughs> no ascending, descending. They go, yeah. Ah. I mean, yep. so that's another thing that I think is a really cool aspect of this game. And for people who may not be comfortable with setting target numbers, they've even got a fairly extensive list of, okay, here are the various target numbers you can set. And this is roughly what this number would correspond to in case you're kind of wondering, well, what number should I give as a target? So mm-hmm. really nicely done. Okay. My four. When I first started reading this, I was annoyed that the wild cards had to be run by the GM and not by a player. I thought, but that would be the most fun is running the wild card. And that bugged me. And then I read the rules. And then I saw the abilities that wild cards could get. And I'm like, okay, yeah, now I see why they have to be run by the GM. (laughs) Because some of those abilities is like, holy crap, could you imagine Tim Schneck? Getting a hold of some of those powers. I mean, even though it's supposed to be a lighthearted game. We would be destroying everything. Oh, good lord. Well, right. You just reach under your floppy ear and produce any object you want. And produce (laughs) a bazooka. (laughs) Frosted Lucky Charms. I'll blow your ass to pieces. So yeah, I definitely see now. I I have to admit, it's something that I'm going to bring up only to say, okay, now I I agree with the rules. I see now why they did it. And yeah, it kind of has to has to be the GM. Although there is a section where they encourage that the the, uh, wild card should never give players bad advice. And I, I, I find that objectionable. On the other hand, if this is genuinely meant for very young players, then you want to be helpful and not antagonistic with them that much, at least certainly not to start with. Well, not purposely give them bad advice. Scooby right. would uh, say run every time. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, is that all correct? No, but it certainly fits the wild card. And and yeah, I, I guess I just feel it, if you are gaming with kids, and maybe Corbett, you can correct me on this or not, but it seems to me the danger would then be that the kids would just sit back and let, whenever there's anything, ask the wild card what to do, you know? Um, then it kind of becomes a railroad. I mean, not exactly a railroad, but... You could easily have the wild card say, I don't know what to do. You know, if you want to try to break them of always 
asking. Maybe it would help if it said that, the rules. A wild card may not know what to do, but don't ever have them actually give them erroneous advice. Just say, I don't know. Because that kind of threw me. I'm such a prisoner of my playstyle preferences that I see the potential for abuse in the wild card by a, a GM, a, a less than stellar GM. When the players mm. want to go left constantly, when the adventure's to the right, yeah. the temptation to use the wild card to try and wrangle them, which I don't think I would do. You shouldn't do, right? right. You should just I've let them go. In- have adventure wherever they find it. Yeah, I've been in too many RPGs where there's a certain type of DM who creates their ideal badass character and introduces them as an NPC and they're always Mm. better at everything than the player's characters. In the end, it's their story and you're just sidekicks. And I, I guess I'm just afraid I could see that sort of thing happening. I don't know. See, I, I really like the idea and the way it works is pretty fun. It's not that you can't play the wild card, but in order to play the wild card, you have to be the GM, which means you, and to be the GM, you pretty much have to love the idea of wanting to do the game. So you should be in the right mindset of playing the wild card. I, I didn't have as many people turning in because I've run the game before. I didn't have as many people turning to me all the time. In fact, I usually just played off the goofball character to be the goofball character. And they kind of went well, along and it well, filled right, and to your point, Corbett, time and experience would fix any any of that because if you're that bad at MGM, uh, people would stop showing up for the game. Right. Aha! Well, Very true. What were the age of your players? Oh, they were like college age. I don't know. Uh, right. 19 to 22, somewhere in there. Right. Adult players. Yeah. Even young adults, even teenagers. Yeah. I would be less concerned about that. It's more, if this is aimed for eight to 12 year olds, how would they do? In the defense, they brushed the game off as a kiddies game. So, uh, but I I ran it like it was Scooby-Doo. Did you ever run it for your kids? I didn't, uh, which I should have, which is funny because they're all huge Scooby-Doo fans. Yeah, I, I, I remember you told me about the van, so I, I figured you would have run this for them, but I guess not. Oh, well. Honestly, I forgot I had it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were about to say you forgot you had your kids. And it's like, well, what? sometimes I, I try. Miss <laughs> Books, we apologize for Corbett forgetting your game. <laughs> but he brought it up here, so, you know. It's been in a box of all the stuff from the shop, and it's it's been there a long time. So old memories. All right. Well, in that case, number three. Okay. To quote Miss Brooks, as a GM, you are the king of your domain, but mistreat your subjects and no one will want to play in your domain. There you go. (laughs) Much agreed. (laughs) She has a lot of really good quotes through the book that you can just Mm -hmm. like totally clip and paste into any other game and go, oh, yeah, that's pretty useful. Yeah, that one got a (laughs) fist in the air from me when I heard it. Yes. (laughs) Succinctly put. Well, what if our DM does this bad and this bad and this bad? Well, then you leave and they don't have anyone to play with. (laughs) And the counter from the previous comments, if your GM's that bad and they're abusing their little wildcard character, then yeah, don't play. (laughs) If it's not fun, what's the point? Uh, true true also i think it would be really fun to do an anime twist where everybody is a wild card except for Mm. the gm who's playing the normal guy (laughs) yes who has no idea that his or her friends are anything unusual like now you're now you're thinking oh oh like what was that the melancholy of haruhi suzumiya Ah, melancholy. Yes. Yeah, it's like, and they're all striving to keep their secrets from each other. <laughs> I think that could be a blast. No. And you just gave me a whole new life goal that I'll never even attempt. <laughs> I want to run the melancholy of Harumiya with these rules. Yeah. 
you're, you're just handing Everybody out these weird, hard, crazy robots or telekinetics <laughs> or time travelers. You want pre-gens? Okay, here. You're a time traveler. Slap. You're an alien. Slap. You're an esper. Slap. But, but you've you can got never to tell keep anyone. it secret, especially from, what's her name? <laughs> from Suzumiya over there. Suzumiya. Yeah, she must not know. And by the way, she's going to be up your ass every single day. (laughs) (laughs) So good luck. Okay. Uh, Jim, three. I've seen many variations on this and become a minor student of it. Various luck mechanics that have popped up in games in the last 20 years. In some cases before, like Top Secret. But I really like the kid points. Mm. The kid points were an interesting luck mechanic variant to me in that they're randomly rolled at the beginning of a session. And they belong to the group and you can never ask for them. The group has to decide something that you just tried to do and came close but failed is important. Yeah. Or could potentially fail as important and give you the, the group awards you the kid points to add to your role before your role. Yeah. Very you nicely done. You can't take them. That that encourages cooperation, which is cool. Very, very in the thing of when they're running through the corridors crisscrossing each other yeah. in a loop. Hell if I was redoing okay. Victor- if I were doing Victorious now, I might steal it. Yeah, I mean it has a lot in common with your victory points for Victorious, especially the fact that you have to say, I'm using these points before you make the roll. The die roll, yeah. But it I do like that mechanic where your teammates say, we're going to give you points to help with this. When you've got the villain trapped at the end and it's time to grab the dragon head off of George Decay, you don't want to roll a one then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's a real dragon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Liz? Oh, speaking of dragons... There's a sample adventure that comes with this book called The Dragon's Eye, and it gives the origin of the sample group's wild card, Captain Bingo, and it's an introductory thing for the players. I thought, on the whole, it was, even though it's very short, very simply laid out, you know, it just gives you bare bones, which is nice. Everything is not scripted. They do have a version of box text for the GM to read to the players. Technically, it's not in a box, but it's bold-faced and italicized and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's very straightforward, very simple. It's great as an example of a very straightforward 20 to 30 minute cartoon episode. This really has nothing to do with anything. But at one point in the adventure, they talk about Andrea, one of the players, has been told by her parents that she must take bingo with her when she goes out with friends. It's like, who would do that? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a... Take this lab monkey with you when you go out to the pizza joint tonight. We are not <laughs> cleaning up after him. You take him with you. I, I know it makes about as much sense as any other Saturday morning cartoon plot, but that still <laughs> just struck me as ridiculously hilarious. You know, Or frankly, nights at the dinner table where the game store is run half the time by a lab chimp. Yes. Yeah. It's like, okay, we'll just roll with it. You know? Andrea, take the lab monkey with you when you go out tonight. Okay, mom. If I had a teenage daughter with a lab monkey, I would totally make her take him out to to places. Give that lab monkey a roll of quarters, shove him in the arcade and said, be back in four hours. (laughs) (laughs) And you come back and he's got the high score. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is that all? Uh, That's all for me. All right. Since Jim didn't, I gave him an out for it. A couple of gripes about getting bonked. Basically, your health points are your hit points. You get them knocked to zero. You are bonked. 
which is kind of like Toon. You're just kind of knocked out of that scene for a bit. You or like look in, silly, birds tweeting around your head. Which would be totally worth it. To, I would get bonked on purpose just so I could go, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My problem with it is twofold. One, basically it's like when you get to neg hit points... That's how many minutes you are knocked out of the game. It doesn't say whether that's game minutes or real minutes. Ooh. And that could be confusing. I uh, always took it as real minutes, actually. Because in Tune, that's the way I treated it. Well, yeah, because you've read Tune. I haven't read Tune, so I wouldn't know. Sorry. Um, well, I mean, again, <laughs> if this is an intro RPG, you know, the kids especially hadn't run Tune. So that it might help to clarify that. We um, can fix that. One of us can pick Tune next. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> On the other hand, and if I just missed it in the text, someone correct me, but I never found anything of what happens when that's over. Yeah, you I didn't get find up. that either. You come back into the game, but do you have max health now? Half? What? Do well, you... the little orbiting uh, chicks go away. They stop orbiting your head. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do you now have full health? Do you not? It, I treated it as full health in the game, but in the rules, I'm sure it's written differently than that. Right. I, I couldn't find where it said that, so I was kind of confused. Unless I missed it too, Mike. You're right. It doesn't it doesn't address So, Miss Books, when you put out the revised meddling kids, you might want to uh, fix those. All right. Wow, you are starting a fight. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm saying there should be a revised version. What's? I'm, I'm just pointing her out as a person directly and challenging her. Um, Mike's safe. <laughs> Al- Allison and Brett don't go to North Texas Con. Not uh, yet, anyway. <laughs> they might. Or next time we go to Gary Con, you know, maybe we'll see them there. Okay, Corbett two. The Don Knotts ghost in the wild cards section, I think. It's just, there's a little art piece that shows you a couple different ideas of wild cards you can pick from. They have a boxing kangaroo and a flying toaster and a little weird guy, but one of them is Don Knotts' ghost. Oh my God, you're <laughs> right, and I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> uh, I was just like, I don't know if that's a really, really I subtle reference. I've you through the window. <laughs> <laughs> What well, could be? What was the? There, Don Knotts played a ghost in. Um, what was it? The ghost of Mister something. The ghost in Mister Chicken. Mister Chicken. Thank you. Was it? Wasn't he the ghost? No, he wasn't the ghost in that. But yeah, that just Don Knotts. Don huge, Knotts. huge, huge reference to Scooby Doo. Honestly, and kind of funny little art piece in there. So okay, that's it, Jim. Well, I'm just segue straight to the art, especially since the sidekick art was one of my favorite pieces, and I failed to notice that was Don Knotts, and, and Corbett's completely right. But the art in this game, especially for being 2004, because our standards are a little higher now, the art and the layout just chef's kiss on the whole book, and the art was very good in that it was appropriate. We had some confusion in the pre-show about what era of Saturday morning cartoons do you think this was written for, because it appears to reference ones from our childhood, but not in the art. The art was by Brian, I'm going to do my best, folks, Brian Laframboise, Peter Delgado, and Marcio Ferrito. But the cover and the the best art is by uh, Brian Laframboise, including that art you just talked about. And it does a really sweet job of kind of melding Scooby-Doo, Hanna-Barbera era with what millennial teenagers would look like. Uh, one example is the uh, character example for the fluff archetype looks to me dead like Mila Kunis's character in that 70s show. Oh, yeah. Well, and the temper character, the goof, uh, Thrasher, mm-hmm. they took what could have just been a shaggy clone and made him, you know, a skateboard kid, mm-hmm. which was kind of at least 90s, you know. Liz can back me up or, or shoot me down, but I really liked the art in this. It was, it was nice and it was genre appropriate. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very clean style. I'm I'm a bit biased because my style tends to be very line oriented as well, and I really liked this. Okay, Liz, two. Okay, I'm gonna talk about chase scenes. Yeah, baby. Oh wait, wrong chase. Wrong, wrong one. <laughs> Although you probably could have a guy in a gorilla outfit, but yeah, it'd probably yeah. be a real gorilla um, <laughs> more, in the game. More, more, Fred, more Fred Flintstone. Yeah. <laughs> it's an optional rule, but it's also one that I like a lot. Like the trap rules, it gives that feel you're looking for to the game. And it's pretty easy to implement. It's kind of like a sanity roll in Call of Cthulhu. If you miss your smarts roll when you see the monster, you get scared and you start running. The monster chases you and you have to try something, anything, to distract it so you can get away. You roll for a target number, and if you succeed, you distract the monster, and the chase is over. You got away. I really liked the anything part, because if you can explain how you're using any ability yeah. to, to use it, no matter how weird, the weirder the better, then like, okay, you get a shot. Yeah, you know, I throw a sandwich at it, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like whatever. I do Macbeth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was always referencing back to when Scooby and Shaggy would, like, put the monster into a barber chair and then lather and, and, them up yeah. like, that. like that was over the top but yeah. very tune like again yeah the, and they even have that ability skit that plays right into that so that was cool I, I think i just got this i'll take the uh the talent for being filthy rich and here i've hired the harlem globetrotters to come play through <laughs> <laughs> and now the monster has to play basketball with the harlem globetrotters to get through to get me so yeah. so while he's stuck playing basketball i'm out of here <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Harlem Globetrotters were another crime-solving group at one point, and then they became the Super Globetrotters, right? Yeah, I, I, so, I yeah. remember. The, I remember the Globetrotters had their own show for a while. Yeah. What was what was there was an era of Scooby Doo where it was Scooby Doo at the movies or something, and mm-hmm. it was like it would be the Adams Family one week, Batman and Robin yeah. the next week, Adam and then the West Harlem and Burt Ward. Yeah. Yeah. Don Knotts every other week. Yep. <laughs> okay, my two glossary. Excellent idea, especially for an introductory RPG. Mm. Seeing a glossary in there was a brilliant idea and awesomely done. Okay, Corbett, last round. Number one. I'm actually going to just say I I like the kid points as well, dovetailing off of everybody else who said something about it. But I think it should have been called something else, uh, just as a complaint. But um, like Scooby Snacks, essentially, you're getting that boost, that action, that ability. It should be something like, you know, plot treats or I don't know, something. Mm -hmm. Popeye's can of spinach. You're right. Yeah, it's it's that, that gimmick of, oh, yeah, they get the thing. It's a it's a cartoon effect. I never was I I used kid points, so I can't say like, oh, I changed it and it was better. I was like, no, just <laughs> thinking about it and, and rethinking about it. It's like it should have been Scooby Snacks or I don't know, energy snacks. Of course, I guess that leads <laughs> towards drugs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery points. Mystery yeah. points. Ooh. That would be making it seventies action not for kids. Like, Here, <laughs> have some mama's little helpers <laughs> on that roll. Okay, Jim. Uh, we're on number one now, right? Okay, I won't be stepping on anybody with this one because it's speechifying time. I love the way games like this game and games just like it embody the promise that Steve Jobs, when it was the early 80s and they first came out with like 
PostScript fonts and desktop publishing and laser printers. He was all about, this is putting the power of publishing to everyone's hands. Well, now we live in that world, but this is a very early example of that coming true. I never saw this game in 2004. I wasn't even back in gaming in 2004. Except for maybe some tiny little tweaks with pronouns, it reads exactly like something that could be published today. It's it's ahead of kids on bikes mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. that we take for granted now. This was these guys doing this in 2004. I don't know why it didn't blow up bigger than it did, but it's a good game. It's worth going to drive through RPG and getting a copy of now. My number one is just like this. Anybody that wants to get into desktop publishing could grab this as an example of how to do it right. Okay, Liz? Okay, number one. This is pretty brief, but one of the skills in the skill list or abilities or, you know, the char- player character abilities. I'm going to call them skills, though. <laughs> but well, I love them really are skills. I know. But one of them is actually called Weirdness Magnet. And <laughs> I, I do not know if that is a deliberate hat tip to the old DC Comics Blue Devil comic book or not. Oh. I am saying that it is. And I find that super cool. Head cannon. <laughs> yes. Well, it very well could be. I think you like that, that ability because you have it in real life. I mean, look who you're surrounded by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Hey, am I your wild card? <laughs> we could be each other's wild card. No, uh, okay. All right, then. That was, that was kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> Not appropriate for this game, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, what's your number one? <laughs> Come on, Mike, trash it now. It's okay. your chance. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've criticized it. But this, you know, everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about what is an RPG section in in RPGs. I, I really feel like they're important. I know a lot of people go, who cares? You know, it's not important. Anybody buying this already knows what an RPG is. Well, it's the first thing we forget when we write one to do. Mm, that's true. Yeah. But I just have this, make, call me Pollyanna-ish, rose-tinted goggles, but I just have this, what if this is somebody's first RPG? It could be any of these. They pick it up at a recycled books or give it as a gift or whatever, you know. This could be their first RPG. It could... Pathfinder could be someone's first RPG. And so this sort of thing is important. And I like the way this one was written, especially since considering the what we believe the target audience to be, it compares role-playing to not play playing in the Cowboys and Indians, not, you know, drama or in a TV show or anything, not, not all that stuff. It's computer RPGs and LARPs. Because let's face it, that's where... Young people today are going to get exposed to RPGs from. And I think that was a Mm. wise choice. Even if I might wish it otherwise, that's the world we live in. That's that's where they're going to come in from. Especially 17 years ago. Yeah, especially 17 years ago. 17 years ago. I have no idea what what, uh, COVID's done to LARPing. I bet it's... I bet it's crushed the SCA. I still see photos of people doing stuff with masks on that match their tunics, usually. I was going to say, seems oh, like LARPers cool. would be the first one to have masks. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wearing a mask? I'm wearing a steel helmet. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, I do know a couple of the people that we know from Facebook 
Remember Kristen, who used to be part of our gaming group here in Denton? Mm-hmm. You know, she's part of this um, post-apoc zombie LARP called Dystopia Rising. Zing. I've been seeing posts from her, and there's a couple of other people we know who do the Dystopia Rising as well. But um, they've started coming back to doing the in-person LARPs again. Yeah, but so... they were wearing, like, surgical masks as part of their LARP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was part of the, you know, the whole zombie virus, you know. Still, the, the... I guess my point is COVID did put a dent in the right. gatherings. They stopped for a while, but now that people are getting vaccinated and everything like that, they are beginning to hold events again. And so I imagine it's probably the same with a lot of other large well, Good for groups. them. Good for them. All right. Well, let's take a pod break and then we'll come back to see what makes the save and what takes half. My dear wife, I now take pen to hand to send you a few lines to let you know that I am well and hope that my letter finds you the same. I have gotten over the terrible sickness that has plagued me until recently, thanks to your mother's mustard plaster remedy. We struggle from day to day as our march of the pig-faced orcs continues to advance. We have no choice but ourselves and our brethren but to stand up for descending armor class. We must march on to provide a safe world where words such as Dweoma, Milieu, and Eldritch can be spoken not in hushed whispers, but shouted from the mountaintops and in every city and town across this great land. For all these things and more, we must fight on. All available troops are converging on the Woodward Park Library in Fresno, California, on Saturday, November 13th, 2021, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Should my son Arliss's dog catch rabies, be sure to make him put the animal down himself. Not only is it manly and will build his character considerably, it will ensure that he is awarded maximum experience points. Affectionately yours, Lieutenant Beauregard Bullock. What makes a save, and what is going to take half? What makes a save, and what takes half? We're going to start now with Liz. Okie dokie. What makes the save? I feel that Allison Brooks did an excellent job of really capturing the spirit of the Saturday morning cartoon adventure with this rule set. Yeah. From everything to the trap rules, the chase scenes, the the wild card character. She hit all the high points that make it its own genre and would give this game the feel that it needs to have, not be just another adventure RPG. I think this is really well done. What does not make the save for me, like I said at the beginning when we were talking about first impressions, I had the same problem with the tone of the writing as I did with the Moldvay Basic book when I was a teenager. I felt like it was talking down to me, you know, like I was maybe six. <laughs> and <Bah. you> know, <laughs> we got a bar from Corbett. <laughs> 
but it's recommended. It says on the back, it's recommended for ages seven and up. I understand. So we're certain we're certainly up, right? <laughs> but reading it as an adult, it was really hard for me to notice is initially the really good things about this game. And there are so many of them. It just, it, it was very difficult. It, it would have been, it, it, obviously it's not meant for me, but if you can get past the PSA style messages about asking your parents for permission to go online, being sure to respect your teachers, don't get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you can get past all of that. Old school and, gaming sucks. And, and just <laughs> read the rules. And it, it's an excellent game. It really is. Okay. Jim? Oh, for me, what makes a save is I think this is just about a perfect Saturday morning cartoon simulation game. You could do a lot worse than this game, and I wish I'd known about it at the last in-person Total Con because that was the theme of the convention was Saturday morning cartoons, mm. and I could I I would have happily run this. What doesn't make the save is I say that, but it's not really my personal playstyle or even genre. So my knee-jerk reactions to it are all wrong. Like I I started thinking, well, okay, could I adapt this and hack it into uh, a Thundar the Barbarian game or a Super Friends game? And there are already systems that'll do that better than this. So. I have an idea to run by the three of you. Next, North Texas Con. What if I used these rules and ran a game of Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoon? Ooh. With it? Huh. Okay. Would so the wild it. card be uni? Yeah, obviously. What? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, what do you think? I, sure. Game. I'll be in there. Think I think I could get eight people to show up for that? Oh, uh, doubtless. I guarantee you could get eight people doubtless. to show up for that. That's true. Might even get Corbett to show up. I'm trying my best. <laughs> All right. Well, then I might save my doesn't make the save into North Texas RPG gold. I might try and spin it. Okay. <laughs> Corbett? Makes the save. It uses D6s. I know that is lame to point to the dice, but I cannot tell you how many times as a kid it was so hard to get polyhedral dice and i really have this mm -hmm. adverse reaction to like getting them but i know i can go pull d6s out of anything so i'm always happy when a game is just like d6s you're great go i, I know it's not hard to get polyhedral dice anymore but for some reason i have a huge affection for d6 games and it's even easier to get d6s it's like because depending on your local grocery store you know they might yeah. have a little game style where you can just pick up a blister pack of nothing but a bunch of d6s yeah it's like yeah. they're everywhere yeah. plus times have changed corbett you can go to walmart and get polyhedrals now i know well actually you know i walmart. bought some polyhedrals recently from mud puppy games you should check them out they're pretty cool yeah. oh thank you <laughs> actually they are really cool and i need to order another set because i realize i'm I'm buying them for my uh, kids for Christmas. Are you Nothing getting like the glow-in-the-dark ones? Of course they're glow-in-the-dark. Why would I? <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. This podcast was sponsored by... <laughs> Save it for the pod break. Anyway. Which, that actually, that was a really pleasant surprise. Those popped up on, the, on Facebook. Thanks, Jim. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> what doesn't make the save? Well, actually, there's a couple of things. I could actually pick apart the game if I wanted to, but it's fun, it's light, and it's easy. But there is one thing that really bugged me a lot was at the very first page, they call this an introductory gaming experience. And then the second line is stage one of the starter system, TM. Starter system TM never did anything as far as I know. And I'm kind of 
sad that nothing yeah. came of this. What would the what would stage two have been? That, yeah. that, that, that's a good point. <laughs> Where would this have gone? Could have been all sorts of cartoons. I mean, this was, I believe, pre-cartoon action hour, so yeah, true. The feel was pretty that wide stuff open. Happens. I wrote a game that had the D12 fast die system, and that's a, that's the sole appearance of that system. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the only failing thing for me is that it was a, a they advertised the next part that never happened. <laughs> Unfortunately, as my age will can attest, when it was talking about the TSS system, mm. my first thought was Terrible Swift Sword by SPI. <laughs> uh, like, no, no, it's not Terrible Swift Sword. Four hours later, turn one yeah. is over. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, because I'm old, I see Panda Head Productions. And every time I think about it to myself, I want to say permuted press. It's like, <laughs> I know it is not permuted press, but I want to say permuted, permuted press. Permuted press, yes. <laughs> okay, my save. I really liked the kids' dice. I thought that was an idea, a way of doing fate points, but encouraging mutual connectivity among the group and just reinforcing the clique, which is what they call parties in this game, by the way, or cliques. And it's just a nifty idea all told. And like I said earlier, I would have stolen it. If it hadn't been for those meddling kids. Yep. <laughs> if it hadn't been. For the me- takes half. I really... Everything else. No, well, sorry. I just feel like maybe it's just me. And I, I'm willing to admit it may just be me. But reading this, I really just didn't entirely get the feel of who this game was for. Sometimes it felt like it was little kids. Sometimes it felt like it was for our generation and our memories. Sometimes it was like a parent giving advice, giving, telling their kid to brush their teeth and put on their jammies before going to bed kind of thing. So that really kind of threw me. I think if this was ever revised in another edition, she should lean more into the make it for kids kind of thing. Well, I'll, I'll defend you, Mike, in that it, it, there was there was a little, and it happens to writers, and I do it too, a, a little case of trying to be too many things to too many audiences at once. Right. And right? that might just be a reflection of the era where there wasn't really anything other than tune out for this genre. And, you know, it's, it is that generic D&D, let's be all fantasy to all people kind of thing that a lot of role-playing games of our generation tried to do. But Scooby-Doo actually does appeal to a couple different ages because they have adult jokes that are kind of a little bit subtle. But well, they're... I'm not talking about the, the setting or even the wild cards. I'm talking about the the rules. The, the rules. I know. I'm just saying that she's she could be emulating Scooby-Doo in the sense that it can appeal to more than one person with different ranges. I get your point that it changes its tone at different points, which mm-hmm. is a little throwing. Like, yeah, I mean, as far as it, it jumps from style to style, I think right. if if they had done what uh, I think Liz was the one who suggested having Captain Bingo do this, the little side notes. Yeah, Jen and initially you could have, suggested it, I and I was going, was yes, we should okay. do that. <laughs> well, in, in, in Mike's defense, I, I'm with Mike in, in much of what he's saying. To my personal playstyle, taste, and writing preferences, I would I like the rules to to oscillate between, or here's the situation in the game, here's the rule, here's an example. Hmm. And instead, this was very front-loaded with a lot of how it, a whole chapter of how it plays, and now here are the rules. And that that bugged me, because I don't like rules written that way personally. But that's my taste. Right, and it may just be me or my generation, you know? It's... I don't know, maybe computer RPG books read like this, more like this, certainly back in 
you know, maybe in 2004. I don't know. At least it wasn't written in that stream of consciousness. I'm at a manual typewriter in the 70s typing these rules out as they occur to <laughs> me, like everybody is. There is that. There is that. Yeah. Oh, we love the one EDMG. <laughs> That's part of the fun, having to hunt and peck and find everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyway, all right. Well, this has been Meddling Kids by Allison Books, Band Ahead Productions. They have a website. We'll put it in the show notes. I believe you can get the PDFs there, or they're available at DriveThruRPG. Take a look. Tell us what you think. Yeah, they've got other games, like currently in publication besides us. Yeah, give us an email at saveforhalfpodcast at gmail.com. We got yours, Edwin, and we'll be reading them in a future episode. No, really. Till then. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Briarch jinkies. <laughs> <laughs> With my scarf. The Safer Half Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Safer Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Safe for Half. <laughs>